So you think you're funny, right? You think that uh, you have what it takes to write for Saturday Night Live, to write for Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, You think that uh, you've got what it takes to be in front of the camera. You think you have the skills to pull off a role. You think that America, you think that the fucking world wants to see your face, right? So that's step one. At some point in your life, you realize this. At some point in your life, you're either told or you decide that you have what it takes to be either a screenplay writer or being an actor or being a director or being any of these things. So then what are the next steps, right? What do you do next? Now, of course, the next logical thing to do is to practice that, to go through the process of teaching yourself new things and, and uh, putting yourself up for roles. And maybe you're in a school play or maybe you're, um, you know, acting in an independent film. A friend of yours is a filmmaker and you have the opportunity to get in that way. Maybe that's your way in. Um, for some people, they realize this stuff pretty early on. And for some people, they uh, take theater in high school and then they go to a college and they uh, are further trained in a college on theater and acting and directing and filmmaking, right? Maybe even photography, any of these things. Um, for most people, that happens And then you get out of school and then you go to the grind. And in that grind, you're either trying to pay off your student loans and you're desperately looking for a way in. And for others, they are smart and they figure out how to make it happen more quickly. Uh, And if you hear noises in the background, that's because my street is insanely fucking busy today. It's COVID time. Supposed to be inside. (sighs) Anyway, um... So I'm fascinated with the steps that people take to make it. And for the main reason, the main reason being that no two steps are the correct way to do it. No one does it the same way. It's always this really strange line of coincidences that lead people down certain paths that provide opportunity to individuals. And we've said it on the show before, and they've said it greater people than I have said it in the past. Like you, part of being successful is that you have to be ready when an opportunity presents itself. And we talk about that on the show all the time. Like, how do you put yourself in the best position possible when that chance comes along? You know? And as always, I I try to find guests for this show that will give us greater insight into this sort of thing, that will lead us into... Uh, their stories into their life experiences and then maybe we'll learn a thing or two from them that will prep us on our path and on our trajectory and i hope you guys have been enjoying season two so far i've had a lot of fun with it um we've had some great guests hope you enjoyed last week's episode uh i did as a director i was just completely fascinated with what it's like to get to that point with your first feature and then what it's like after that because I'm always looking ahead and I'm always trying to set myself up emotionally for the next step because this business is so bipolar, right? One minute you're feeling like a million bucks, the next minute you got a gun in your fucking mouth. (laughs) So you never know where you're gonna end up. Um, So I like to try to plan it a little bit. For me, it's like driving on the highway. You're either that person that looks at the car in front of you or you're the person that looks 10 cars down the line. And I try to be the person that's looking 10 cars down the line. Um, 
And that's a safety thing. Uh, it's a comfort thing for me. Um, but it seems to have worked. So fuck it. We'll keep doing it. Um, so for today's episode, it's an exciting episode for uh, me. But more importantly, today's episode is a big episode for Liam because uh, Liam is a... Uh, how do I put this gently? He's a super fan. Uh, and uh, I have to say, we've already recorded the show, Liam. You did such a great job reserving yourself in this episode and uh, and asking some solid questions, which I think are really great, um, and uh, making sure that our, our guest is comfortable uh, being around a super fan. And he's, Liam's just sitting, sitting there going, fucking throw me under the bus. You throw me under the bus. Yes, I am. I'm throwing you under the bus, my friend. Um, I found uh, this guy um, because I had seen some of his stuff. And then I was sort of hunting through Instagram and I found him on Instagram and uh, I thought that he would have a really great story to tell us. Uh, and it was funny because um, I really wasn't a fanboy of him prior to this. And then I had told Liam and Liam was like, it was like a 13 year old at a fucking NSYNC show. <laughs> so very, very happy to be able to make that happen for you, Liam. Um, but you guys are going to find today's guest really interesting, especially if you are an actor and you're trying to get into the business. Uh, if you're a writer, if you've always wanted to be in a writer's room, there's a great fucking advice in the show about how to handle writer's room, like what your first day in a writer's room is like. A lot of that on this episode. Um, and then this episode's really fucking inspiring overall because uh, it talks about how it's important for you as an actor or as an artist to self-create content. Um, and that just because you get an agent doesn't necessarily mean your life's going to change. You still are creating content and, you know, making these little projects on your own and designing the way that the public perceives you in such a way is only helpful when you're trying to find an agent. So all this stuff is really great. Um, today's guest is none other than the amazing uh, Nick Kocher. And uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Nick's a writer. He's a writer on Saturday Night Live. He's been a writer on Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, he was the, one of the co-creators of uh, uh, Britannic, um, which is really great. And he's done a ton of really good content, online content for different um, comedy websites that have got a ton of traffic. Uh, he's also running, uh, well, he was putting together a live comedy show. Um, let me look up the name of it while I'm talking to you guys. There is nothing better than a host that isn't prepared to do his intro. Uh, so he's digging and installing for time as uh, his Instagram is loading incredibly fucking slow. Uh, stand by, almost there. And there we go. Everything's Great Show. So he's the co-host of the Everything's Great Show, um, which is like a really cool uh, comedy troupe that is not doing anything right now because we're all in COVID. But I figured I'd give him a plug. Um, very happy with this episode. Really good, really good dude. Uh, you never know what you're going to get with people. And he was very down to earth and very willing to give advice. Um, so I'm very happy to hand this to you guys today. And I just want to thank you. This is my thank you to you for the support that you've been giving this show. Um, those of you that click through on our sponsor links below, it shows. It helps 
It really helps the show. So please do so. Underneath every episode, we will have sponsor links. Just click through and check out what they have going on. It's super important for the show. Um, so yes, thank you guys for supporting the show. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram, either at Mike Petchy on Instagram or at In Love With The Process on Instagram. Uh, there you'll be able to stay up to date with what I'm doing. Personally, I've been releasing a lot of new work. I'm going to be putting out a lot of stuff this over the next couple of weeks because I've got, I'm finishing up on a bunch of uh, post-production. So I just released the Dale Strong piece last week uh, or the week before, whenever this episode comes out. Um, and I got a bunch of stuff in the, in the works. I've been hard at work on my end prepping for a new movie. So I'm uh, doing storyboards and all that stuff. Every once in a while, I give little glances online. They're not supposed to. So you guys can always check in at my pitchy there to do that. Um, and go to the In Love With The Process website. So that's inlovewiththeprocess.com. I know a lot of you look at the playlist for the podcast at this point. A lot of the newcomers come on board and they're like, fuck, this is episode 79. Where do I start? Well, okay, look, there isn't, you don't necessarily have to play out continuity on our show. Go back, listen to episode one, and then go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. And then you can choose what episodes you want to listen to based upon subject material. So if you want to hear from directors, you can listen to the directors. If you want to hear to musicians, if you want to listen to cinematographers, it's all organized there for your listening pleasure. And there are hours and hours and hours of content for you to listen to. Whew, my voice is falling off because I've done two episodes today. Anyway, super excited to have you guys on the show um, today. And let's just get right into it. Let's not stall it out any longer. You know the deal. Go find those trusty noise-canceling headphones. Pour yourself a beer. I can use a beer right now. I can use a beer right now. Pour yourself a nice cold beer. Sit down, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Hey, Nick, thanks for being on the show, man. Hey, happy to be here. I was saying this offline. Thank you for taking the time to uh, sit and chat with us. I know that uh, a lot of us are trying to stay busy during the whole COVID crisis. How are you holding up? Oh, I, I mean, I, I'm okay. I think uh, I, I feel bad complaining about anything. You know, I've got... A house, and I'm, I've got a girlfriend, so that's that's all you know. I great. Uh, I think it's you know, there's a level of anxiety that I think everyone is feeling, like just a baseline uh, bit of that. I, I zoomed with my therapist about that this morning. Nice. Uh, so I think in the grand scheme of things, I'm I'm okay, and uh, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> Well, good. And, uh, you know, what we try to do with this show is, is offer a little bit of a reprieve. So we're not going to dig too deep in that shit. Everybody's talking about what the fuck's going on with COVID. Sure. So let's, let's get into you and, and, you know, we're big fans of the stuff that you do here. I know Liam's a massive fan of you. Liam's been following you for years, right, Liam? Yes, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way um, to put it. Yes. <laughs> um, thank you, but, Liam. Uh, just welcome. in case. Just in case some of our listeners, because they come from all walks of life, just in case some of our listeners don't know uh, who you are and where you come from, uh, can you just uh, introduce yourself for us? 
Sure. So my name is Nick Kocher. I am a writer and comedian, I guess. I uh, got my start doing sketch comedy on the internet uh, Mm -hmm. back in 2008. And since then, uh, you know, that's been the constant, just occasionally making a dumb, silly three-minute video for the internet. But uh, in between doing that, I've had some jobs for things that people might have heard of, one being Saturday Night Live, another being It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably all anyone <laughs> anyone other than Liam would know <laughs> that I've worked for. <laughs> um, I, in addition, I've, you know, I've done a bunch of eclectic random jobs here and there. I wrote some Marvel comic books. Uh, I wrote a series that's currently airing on FXX on the show, on the show cake, which is sort of like FX's version of adult swim. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A very short series of audition sketches and, uh, God, it's depressing to like sum up ten years of your life. <laughs> um, that's and not. Then a I, I don't know. Summer. I perform stand-up comedy live. I perform uh, sketch comedy with my writing partner Brian McElhaney, who's also in this sketch group, Britannic, which is what uh, all the online sketch comedy was. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I don't know some other stuff that you can see on IMDb if that at all interests you. <laughs> Well, cool, man. So I think one of the reasons why I was excited to get you on the show is that uh, we've had some writers on the show before, but I would really love to get into comedy writing and get into that stuff with you. Um, And then I'm also fascinated with, um, you know, how you get the interest and how you uh, progress through creating your own content and through creating stuff on YouTube and how powerful that's been for you. Um, but let's sort of start back in the beginning. So you went to NYU, right? Wasn't that where you went? Yeah, I went to NYU for acting. Um, okay. And that was what I wanted to do for since junior high was I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be in front of the camera and performing. And I was always somewhat interested in writing, but it was hard and I found it hard. And that hasn't changed at all. But yeah. um, I was doing some comedy writing. I always liked comedy. I really loved improv. I started doing that in junior high like, you know, the, the most basic version of improv that there was. Uh, Mm -hmm. and then, yeah, I went to drama school at NYU, uh, which was great. And I think what, what started happening, there was two sort of things that happened in drama schools. One is I realized like, oh, I'm okay at this. I'm not the best (laughs) by any means. And I'm, I'm sort of solidly in the middle of, of acting talent and like all the, all the teachers and scene study classes, they, they all liked me and I would get nice things, but then there'd be like a student that would go after me that they would be like, that would move them to tears and they would praise <laughs> and say all these really nice things about it. I was never that kid. Yeah, and right. so what I kind of realized uh, in like the middle of school, cause I also thought like, I just thought acting I, I, like I would look in the mirror and I would sort of know like, yeah, I don't look like a, like a superhero <laughs> or something, but I would be like, but I'm going to be one. I'm going to play one eventually because I'm an actor and actors eventually do that or whatever. Like I, I, I just sort of thought that success was 
inevitable. And then midway through college, I was kind of like, oh, maybe it won't be. (laughs) I, the big thing throughout college was like agents, you know, it was this such a mythology about like getting an agent. And do you have an agent? Cause like some kids had agents cause they, they had been either working or they were idiots who had signed with some terrible agents. Yeah. And so I was sort of thinking like, how do I get an agent? How do I get an agent? That to me sort of seemed like the whole ball game. And I was thinking about myself and I was like, I don't know why an agent, would sign me and not someone else. Like I was like, I'm like, there's plenty of people that look like me that are as good, if not better at acting. Uh, And I was like, so I was like, well, so why would anyone want to represent me and send me out? I didn't know how to like, you know, elevate or pitch someone myself. And what I sort of, realized is I was like, well, I'm funny. I, I like, you know, the reason that I would cast myself in a show is because I would, you know, I'll improvise and I'll come up with funnier lines and I'll make the script better, which is like not really how an actor should be approaching anything. (laughs) But that's what I thought. I was like, that's, I'm good at that. So I sort of realized I need to like make some stuff that shows that I can do that. Like I need to make some comedy videos or something that, that show I can do that. And then I can show those to an agent and an agent will then represent me. And then I can stop making comedy videos. And (laughs) I was in a sort of sketch comedy group with like six people that were all like so talented, like the most talented people that I knew at school. I, we, we started this sketch comedy group and I was like, there's no way we can fail. We're like, this is an, a murderer's row of talent and we failed hard pretty quick. Uh, it was just, you know, it was like six different people. I don't even actually remember the exact number of people. Cause there were some people who were sort of in the group and other people not. That group was called brave aunt Beth. And if and you're is a it, real why, Nick head, you can find that online. <laughs> well, why'd you to interrupt you? Why'd you guys fail? Was it just cause they didn't mesh or it just it didn't was, go anywhere? I think it, it was, there it because there was like eight of us when there's that many people in the group it's like everyone was we would all get together and we would meet like i would say once a week we would all have these scripts and they they were all good but they weren't quite there yet i think i would say they were like 75% good And we didn't really, we would sort of note each other, but we wouldn't get too aggressive. We were, you know, we we wanted to stay friends, you know, and you didn't want to like hurt anybody's feelings. So we weren't like, at least on my part, I was like, and then we would be like, all right, let's just go shoot that sketch. And then we would shoot it. And I would sort of be like, I feel like we needed to like give this another few drafts or not. And then also we weren't, we didn't really, none of us were film people. So like we were shooting it on a handy cam. We didn't really know what we were doing and we weren't performing live. I think the group might've gone further if we had performed live because that's what all of us wanted to do. But the person Uh. at at the head of it was like very much and was correct was like the future of this industry is YouTube and we need to put videos on YouTube. But we, we, none of us had the skill set of, of, of filmmakers. So we weren't, the videos we were making were like 
fine. They weren't great. Right. At least I wasn't like thrilled with them. Uh, I, and I think there was like some really fun. I think they could have been great, but they, they, they weren't turning out great. And so, and then we'd put them online and they would get kind of like a te- like a tepid to zero reaction. And <laughs> so we were kind of doing that. And then we like, some people graduated and kind of moved on. Like some people moved to new Orleans and they're doing theater down there still. And, and again, everyone's so talented and, and great. Uh, but we had some people drop out and then it was like, we were going to keep going, but it, it was just like, there was this lack of focus. We all maybe wanted different things with, within yeah. the comedy. So it just kind of like, Like, I feel like we had, we kept trading off, like, who's going to take point, who's going to lead the group. I feel like everyone literally had a shot at leading the group. And so it was sort of fizzling out. And around the time it was fizzling out, uh, my buddy Brian and I, who we went to high school together, he was in film and he would always cast me in his film projects. Mm -hmm. And I was... uh, you know, I would like improvise, he would write the script typically. And then I would like improvise on top of that. And then as college went on, whenever we would do something, I started getting more involved in the writing. Not, not really a ton with his projects, but around senior year. And then we would like, we, we both were from Atlanta. So every time we would go back home for Christmas break, we would make, we'd get bored eventually and just sort of shoot some dumb, <laughs> stupid video and he would edit it together. And Brian is like an amazing comedy editor. He's the best. I, I don't, I've, you know, we've, I've worked with some, some good editors uh, uh, that are not him. And I'm, I'm still like Brian, Brian's the best. Uh, yeah. And so he would edit these videos together and they would be so funny. And it kind of opened my eyes a little bit to what's possible with film. Like in the acting department, we just didn't, we didn't know like the tricks and stuff that you could do. Yeah. Um, so then, so Brian and I kind of both around the same time were like, we should start making YouTube videos. Like Derek comedy was doing videos at that time, which was Donald Glover's group. And they were really good. Mm-hmm. And we sort of knew them a little bit and we were sort of like, yeah, we, we want to do this. And so we decided like the summer before senior year, like we're going to start making videos. And we wrote three scripts, I think. Actually, we wrote two scripts. And then our buddy, this guy, Daniel Platzman, who is now the drummer for the band Imagine Dragons, (laughs) who went to (laughs) high school with me, he had pitched us a sketch idea. And he, he, it's the one sketch that neither of us wrote. (laughs) He, He wrote, it's like a three, five line sketch or something. It's called a talk with dad. And he wrote it and we, we shot, that was the first thing we ever shot. And Brian was able to, you know, we had no budget, but he was able to sort of, we, we had like decent sound and we had a decent camera. And so it, yeah. it, it, it was the improvement over those videos to the Brave Mount Beth videos in terms of like from a technical aspect was a hundred percent. Um, so we, we kind of started, we, we filmed these videos and Brian edited them together and they were immediately, we were like, oh, these are really good. This is, this is 
and and I was like, yes, finally, this is what I, I I've sort of been looking for. Uh, and then we submitted them to the San Francisco Sketch Fest, the uh-huh. fall of our senior year of college, and we got in. And I remember getting the phone call or the email. I think it was an email saying that we got in. I was like, the, still probably my career high point of like feeling. It was like winning the nice. Oscar. And then they were like, cool. So come out and, you know, do, you'll do a 30 minute live show. And we were like, okay, we got to write a 30 minute live show now. Uh, <laughs> and so we wrote some sketches and did that with, we cast like a bunch of our friends uh, and we all flew out to San Francisco and uh, performed these sketches and that went great. And, and so it was like a lot of, there was like an immediate positive reception that we were getting that definitely helped spur us on that we didn't have with, with Brave Aunt Beth. Got it. Got it. And then, so did this lead to Britannic? Is this, is this? Yeah. So that was Britannic. So Britannic was this name. It's a name that I think I came up with it. I think I texted Brian. We should call ourselves Britannic Productions because I was like, it's Brian and Nick and the word Titanic. And Brian was like, (laughs) yeah, sure. And now like years later, it is no one pronounces it correctly. Nobody knows what it means. We're not Titanic themed. Everybody thinks it's like Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, it's but it's too late to change it. And then there was like one day right before we were like submitting to like the day we were submitting to SF Sketchfest, Brian was like, I don't know about the name. I think we should explore some other names. And he was like, my roommate, Travis, suggested a name that made me laugh really hard. I think maybe we should go with that, which was The Mustache Diaries. (laughs) So we will almost call ourselves The Mustache Diaries, which I don't. I feel like it would be a it's a lateral move. It's just as like bizarre and weird as Britannic. Neither of us have a mustache. Like I can't really grow one. Oh man, that would have been, I don't know which would be worse. Actually. I don't know. And that we, we did an interview once where the person was like making fun of our name to us and they were like, Britannic, why? And we were like, that's oh, a combination of both of our names. And they're like, you didn't go with brick. We were like, Oh my God. <laughs> brick was there the whole time. <laughs> No, I think it's great. I think it's great that it's hard to pronounce because then people will remember it. Yeah, and if you type if you type Britannic into Google, one thing comes up. If you type yeah. brick into Google, there's a lot more. <laughs> yeah. It's like your name and then the encyclopedias. So it's good. It's yeah. good. Um all right. So then so then you guys started to create uh and put out quite a few videos on YouTube that started to get a lot of attention. Like at 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 what point did that start to change your career? Because it's a smart move. I know a lot of young actors, myself, that are always like, I'm looking for an agent. I'm looking to do this stuff. And it's like, guys, you got to prove your worth to these people. I mean, they're essentially fucking like, they're, they're real estate agents. You know what I mean? Like, you have to have some sort of worth and they're going to go out there and sell you specifically for that yeah. worth that you have. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, that's sort of, that's kind of what I had realized in college that it's like, oh, there's no, like, why, why me? Like, yeah. it, and it's, you know, not the most optimistic, positive thinking, uh, uh, you know, way of going about it. But it was like, I don't 
you know, what, what do I, what are they then going to say to a casting director to pitch me to audition? So yeah, it's, it's really an agent, you know, especially now it's like agents can, can be very helpful and definitely for acting like you need an an agent to get you these auditions. But Mm -hmm. what I always tell people is like, act like, you know, behave like you don't have an agent behave like nobody is out there working for you except for yourself because you because in some sense it's like you you've got to give them stuff to then do like you need to go write a script or something that they can then take to people and if you you know build a following online that only helps them help you and it without that it's you know they'll they'll eventually you know they'll get you some auditions but if you're not getting auditions there there's only so much they can do yeah 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 it's, it was the same thing for me cuz i got uh rep by UTAs for for a director and so when i first got my agent i was like okay everything's going to fucking change you know it's like i've been hustling on my own forever and now i have an agent so the agency's going to be consistently selling you and that's not the truth. The truth of it is, is that they are like, great, cool. We're here. We're gatekeepers. So we can get you in the rooms that you've always wanted to get into, but send us shit. Send us more shit. What are you working on? What are you writing? What are you making? What are you doing? And so yeah. you're still working at a hundred miles an hour to try to fuel them. Um, and then they're doing just enough to make their 10%. <laughs> so it's like, it's a difficult, I think a lot of younger filmmakers and younger actors that listen to the show are like, when I get an agent, it's going to change my life. No, you're still going to fall back on all the shit that you've been doing prior to that. And if you're smart, you're doing like what you, what you did, which is I'm creating a brand for myself. I'm giving myself an outlet to an audience. It's allowing me to practice my craft, but it's also allowing me to, to build a reputation with people that is then valuable. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think even if it does change your life, even if you do get an agent and they get you an audition and you you book something huge, it's like still it, it's like you're much better served like if you operate as if they're they're not like, you know, you've got to still like go create your own stuff, I think. I think it for your mental health is good, um but definitely for your career just the more you you know, the more pies you stick your fingers in, the, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, that's a good within way to reason. It. I think it, you know, at a certain point, there's too many pies. But um, I think it it's it, it'll only help your if you're an actor. It'll only help you to get better at writing, to learn about you know directing, and same with you know the the those three directing, acting writing, editing, like all of those skills only enhance the other skills. So now's that point where we have to take a moment and thank the men and women that make the show possible. And I am not just talking about you, the listener. And I know there are some of you out there that are like, yeah, Mike, what do I do? Exactly. What the fuck have you done for us lately, right? Have you told your friends to listen to the show? You better. You fucking better, man. You better tell your friends. I know where you live. <laughs> uh, please do so. Advertise the show. Let everybody know to listen to us that this is the show that you guys listen to during your COVID imprisonment. Um, and uh, 
As always, you can donate to the show and you can get money to the show by going to inlovewiththeprocess.com backslash sponsors. Uh, there, you can donate to us for free by signing up for an Audible free trial. So if you sign up for a 30-day free trial at Audible, and if you haven't done so already, that's important, you sign up for 30 days free, you'll get not only access to Audible for 30 days, but you'll get a free audiobook from them. Uh, you'll probably fall in love with the service. Uh, you'll get access to all their content. Um, but after 30 days, if you're like, man, I didn't get that fucking unemployment check and you have to cancel it, do so. No big deal for us. We still get it. We still get paid. So best way to donate to the show is to sign up for the Audible trial. We'll put the link below. Uh, you can also sign up. We're going to have a bunch. We have a couple credit card deals going on where we get a little bit of loot if you go through and try to sign up for a credit card. Um, we have Capital One deals. I'll have a couple other ones. Uh, do not do these things. If you're a piece of shit when it comes to money and you don't understand how money works, I do not want to be the one responsible to put you in credit card debt. So do not do these things if you're not responsible. If you have uh, a, a, like a, a crazy urge to fucking shop on Amazon at three o'clock in the morning and buy things that you don't need, don't do this. But if you're someone that is looking to get a credit card because you're trying to expand your business, you don't want to be putting gear, you don't want to be taking money out to rent gear that is your rent money, uh, look into the Capital One cards. There's a Venture card and there's a Venture One card. They both come with different perks. Um, the best perk for both of them is they have sign-up bonuses that equal uh, money towards travel, which is really great. That's basically how Gina and I uh, were able to travel cross country is that we did credit card deals. So works out really great. Go sign up for them. We get a little bit of loot if you do so. If you're fucking responsible with your money. All right. Uh, let's get to the real reads. So first up, good buddies over at Puget Systems. If you're an independent filmmaker, if you're an independent photographer, if you're a music producer, if you're looking for a new computer because the one you have is just giving you that fucking pinwheel of death, it's just not fast enough. If it's lagging on playback and you're like, God damn it, I need my computer to keep up with me. I can't keep up with all these software updates. I need new hardware, right? So then you go to one of the bigger, let, fuck it, let's just say it. You go to Apple's website and you're like, Jesus Christ, the fucking tags on these. The price tag on this. Would you like a kidney? Two? Would you like a kidney while you're at it? God damn it. I'm going to be in debt to you. It's like the kids in the uh, Temple of Doom. I'm going to be down there fucking just chalking away forever to pay back this thing. And you're like, how is this? How does this make sense to me as a business owner? It doesn't. Here's the thing. You could buy a PC. PCs are the way to, to go these days because all the software we use also runs on PCs. It actually runs better and faster on PCs right now. So definitely go check out PugetSystems.com and build yourself a custom-made PC and you can choose your selections based upon the software you use. So you can go through... Hi. Gina just came in. Uh, <laughs> you can go through uh, their selection process and pick a system that suits your needs. Um, do that. And here's something that's really exciting because I've been hearing from a lot of you guys that aren't in the US. So the problem with Puget is that Puget doesn't sh ship internationally. So you guys are like, I would love to get a Puget system, but I can't buy one because they don't ship out of the country. Well, they've just started this new thing. I'm going to read it directly to you guys. Hardware consulting for everyone. Puget Systems customers have always enjoyed a level of personal touch 
when designing and purchase, purchasing one of our workstations. It's a standard of excellence that has set us apart and one that we're very proud of. We are very pleased to announce that we are extending that same level of service that we would normally be reserving for those purchasing workstations from Puget Systems to everybody worldwide. So starting at $500 per consultation, this service will give you the information you need to make informed decisions about what hardware you will need for your workflow. Follow the link below. We'll put the link below in the thing uh, to sign up for it. Now, I know you, some people are like, $500 for consultation? This is huge. You literally can build your own system. You can go through and you can price out the parts. You can find all the pieces that you want. And the, the negative of trying to do that on your own is that you haven't beta tested all this hardware. Because all this hardware does different things together. Uh, you can reach out to Puget Systems and sign up for this consultation program and they'll tell you the things to buy. So it's huge. So if you're looking to build your own system, this is big. If you're outside of the US, and I know a lot of the listeners are, and you wish you had a Puget System like I do, these guys will help you do it. And 500 bucks, that's fucking cheap. So definitely check it out. We'll put the link below. Uh, also sponsoring the show are our good buddies over at Quasar Science. Uh, as I've said always, one of the big advancements in our field has been lighting technology and LED lighting and the ability to use any color of the rainbow and to be able to program lights to do different things. And lights run cooler so your sets aren't 150 fucking degrees like this room is right now. Um, go to quasarscience.com at Quasar. They're one of the leaders in LED technology. They do some of the best stuff. If you follow them on Instagram, they are consistently doing uh, contests and competitions to give away free pieces of gear. I get asked all the time, Mike, what kind of lights do you have in your package? I have quasars. All right. So go check them out, quasarscience.com. Uh, that's it. That's it for the reads of the show today. Uh, let's get right back into it. Let's fast forward a little bit here. So then, um, so then oh, now you asked what, like what videos had sort of taken off for us or something. Sure. We can talk about that. Yeah. Like what was the big hits for you guys? Well, it was like the first year, I think the, so we, we put up the videos in 2008. We put up three videos on my birthday, uh, was like the first day. It was like the day after we had performed it. San Francisco sketch fest. And we noticed like an immediate, there was an immediate positive response. Like all the comments were good and we were sending them around to friends and getting a lot of positive feedback, but they were still, you know, they weren't getting tons and tons of views and we, we had very few subscribers and we had, I had just gotten a Blackberry, I think. And we had email alerts on. So every, I would get an email alert <laughs> <laughs> every time we got a new subscriber and uh, would get all excited and would like text Brian new subscriber <laughs> uh, for every single one. And then also just funny random fact is a Brave Aunt Beth video that I had made like that week or maybe a week or two prior had made it to the front page of YouTube. And this was 2008 when like the front page of YouTube was there was like 10 videos on it. So whenever you were on that front page, you got like a big you know, you'd get a ton of views. A lot of people would see your yeah, video. That's and that's how we got uh, our manager that's currently our manager was he repped Brave Aunt Beth originally. 
and this one video was just me doing a monologue and the comments, I would say 50% of people really liked it and 50% of people thought I had acne and was a bad actor. And I would get, because I had this Blackberry, would get an email with every comment. And so Brian talks about this time where we'd be out to lunch and I, there'd be a buzz. I'd like look at my phone and then just go, oh. <laughs> I was just getting regular notifications of insults from, from online bullies. So anyhow, we, mm. uh, uh, Britannic, we've put up these three videos and then we just started, we tried to like shoot a video a week that quickly fell apart. Yeah. Um, but we, f- we filmed a number of videos and they were doing okay. And then we had one, I want to say like six months in, we did a video called pillow talk, which was like, uh, a, a group of basically like a guy and a girl talking after sex and then they keep like having sex with different people and they're keeping these after sex conversations and (laughs) it was you know very it was like blue humor and break.com picked it up they posted it on their site and that gave us a big boost and around that time our like i think it was like this uh, a woman named Kirsten Ames, who is not our manager, but this woman who was interested in managing us, but was just sort of being kind of a fan. She's still, I'm still uh, uh, friend friendly with her uh, now. She reps uh, Thomas Middleditch, uh, mm-hmm. I believe, and and a bunch of other really great people. And she had sent our videos to this agent, Fred Hashagen, who's at UTA, who's still our agent. Uh, and he came to see a live show because we were performing at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. May it rest in peace. It just closed in New York this uh, week, uh, uh, which is very sad. Yeah. And he came out to see that show, and it was like our graduation show. I think we had just graduated from NYU, and he came and then was interested in representing us. And so we were, and we were like, yep, sure. Cause we'll take whoever we can get. Yeah. <laughs> and so then he was representing us and we were going out on auditions. And, you know, like I said, I wasn't getting any of the auditions. I wasn't getting positive feedback or anything really. And, mm-hmm. uh, but I, you know, I had an agent and, you know, I still was, very little had changed about my life. And then the first real thing that took us off was, I guess, two years into making videos, we made the Academy Award winning movie trailer, which was (laughs) this viral video where it was like a a parody of every Oscar winning movie trailer ever. It was just sort of like all the characters are speaking in formula. (laughs) And um, we put that out. That was I was working as a bellman at the Standard Hotel. <laughs> no <York>. kidding. <laughs> yeah, and it was I was there for a little under a year, and it was starting to kill my soul a little bit. And I my it was like cause I wasn't doing I wasn't writing as much I wasn't you know it was taking up a lot of my time. I had a girlfriend at uh, then that like I was neglecting her because of that. And I just sort of realized I need to, I need to quit this job. I've got enough money saved that I can go 
at least like a month without working. And then I'll just get some other shitty job. I was like, I know I can get, you know, another job somewhere. So like, why, you know, let me just bet on myself for a month. That's such an important, that's such an important part to interrupt you real quick. That's such an important part for you because I think that's a big fear for a lot of folks, especially when they're in the, I mean, act, acting, I have such fucking respect for people that decide that they want to pursue acting because actors are so reliant upon everything else. You know, it's not, unless you're doing what you do, which is create your own content, you're fucking just sitting around waiting, hopefully yeah. for something. And so to make that leap is such a, an important thing in your at that point for your for your career to be able to say like look i need time to focus on my writing i need time to focus on my life you know cuz ultimately you're going to be writing from life experiences you know yeah. i think that was a really interesting part that or point that a lot of people are afraid of and i think you said it right by saying like i can just get another job i can get another bullshit job cuz you're at that point acknowledging the fact that this job is just here because i got to pay for fucking rent i got to yeah. pay to survive for my life like who gives a fuck and I think that that acknowledgement is a really important step, especially in an actor's career. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I definitely want to acknowledge that it is it it comes from a position of absolute privilege that I'm sure. able to to take off work for a month. Like it wasn't sure. like you know I was not by any means wealthy, but I wasn't like I I thankfully didn't have student loans. Like my my friends who have student loans, that is terrible and you know they they, that that situation needs to be sorted out that's the i don't want to go into a rant about student loans so that's you and i you and i could we could have a whole fucking episode about that yeah Yeah, i completely agree so i was and, and the other thing that i noticed with my friends like right after graduating is there was like sort of you know two different situations there was people either didn't have to work like at NYU. There's a lot of people coming from a lot of money and, and plenty of my friends, just their parents were supporting them. And then the other half of my friends had to hustle, hustle, hustle and work like three, four jobs uh, to pay off these insane student loans that they'd taken out. And, and the thing that I noticed is the people who were hustling more tend to be the ones I think who have remained in the industry and are, are are still doing it because they, they kind of learned how to do both. And then other people got like real jobs, not waiting tables, like working, you know, for a casting director or something like that. And then, and a lot of those people now do that or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, but what, what I noticed is like the most, you know, some people can make it work, like being supported by your parents and working on your art, and then you successfully transition that into an actual career in the arts. That that can totally happen, and that that is certainly the ideal for those people. But I I notice a lot of people with all their free time what weren't really, you know, weren't really creating art, weren't using that free time to do something that would help their career. Yeah, and I think. Um, so, and, and sort of to that point, so what, what happened with me is, so I quit the, I quit my job as a bellman. I told, I lied and told them that I had gotten a part in a, a, in a TV show and that I was moving to LA. I, none of that was true. I, so I, cause I didn't want to give them two weeks notice. I wanted to stop immediately. 
So yeah, yeah. I, I fully just burned the bridge. Could have like <laughs> done it right and been able to get a recommendation, but I burned the bridge. Then I had, <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't know, I'll give myself three, four weeks. And if I haven't started making a living as an actor, then I'll get another shitty job. And I spent, I think, three of those four weeks just watching Lost, doing nothing, <laughs> sitting on my ass, not doing anything. And then I started to panic. And I was like, oh, my God, I quit my job. I haven't even done what I set out to do. Yep. And then yep. Brian had had this idea uh, for the trailer sketch. Basically, there's this song by Da Vinci's Notebook There, that's now – the group now is called Paul and Storm. Hmm. They they wrote a song called Title of the Song, and it's a boy band song where they sing in formula. And Brian, it, so it's like, the, the chorus goes like, title of the songs. I'm not going to, I'm terrible at singing, but it, it <laughs> look it up. It, it's very, very funny. And it was absolutely the inspiration for, for this. Because Brian had heard that, and we we loved that group and that song. And he was like, what if we did a movie trailer version of that, where they're speaking in this sort of meta speak, where it's like, uh, you know, I scream louder now. Uh, you know, yeah, more complications right. are arising. I, uh, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And we, we sat on that idea for like two years, I want to say. And wow, we just wow. always thought we needed a big budget to, to get that done. And then it was like February and the Oscars were coming up. The Oscars were in like three weeks and we were like, let's, let's, let's write this. Let's do it. Let's get this out by the Oscars. So we wrote it. We wrote it in a week, I want to say. And then we pitched it to college humor because they were pumping tons of money into sketch comedy. And we were like, they'll, they'll be able to, we can do it with them. And they were mm -hmm. like, I forget who we talked to is either Sarah Schneider who later hired us to work at SNL or Ben Joseph, who is a very talented comedy writer, uh, who, who, and dear friend that has survived that all these years. I don't know why I put it like that. Survive. <laughs> the friendship survived. I was waiting for the tail end. sound like Ben. Ben, by the way, good job, Ben. Surviving. Um, <laughs> anyhow, they were, they were not, they, oh no, they, they liked it and they were like, yeah, we'll make this with you, but we can't turn it around in three weeks or two weeks or whatever it was. I think it was like uh, one week. I think it's, it was something crazy. They were like, we'll do it with you, but we can't do it in that turnaround. And then we pitched it to crack.com who we'd been making videos with. They would give us like $2,000 a video mm -hmm. uh, or a thousand dollars a video. And then for this one, we pitched it to them and we had no idea of what budgets were or anything like that. And so we were like, we're going to need a big budget for this one. We're going to probably need $2,000 <laughs> to do this. <laughs> and, and they were like, sure. Yeah, we'll give you $2,000. Uh, so we had $2,000 and really the video cost $700. Like we, and most of the money was spent on food. <laughs> like we, and we rented a car, but we were just, we had a camera and we were borrowing lights from NYU. Yeah. Because I think for a, maybe a, 
it, it must have, so we, we knew people like our younger friends who were still at NYU could check out lighting equipment. So we were just having them do it for us. Yeah. Smart. smart. And then we just stole shots and we ran around the city and we shot it in eight days and it cost me my relationship with my girlfriend. <laughs> like not really, but like midway through, it was just like, I, I remember sending her an email being like, I, I love you. You are absolutely a priority to me, but for the next five days, you can't be <laughs> like, so <laughs> like we let's talk about that. Cause we were having a fight and I was like, I can't, I just can't, you know, we, I literally don't have a minute to breathe while we're doing this. And then we, and Brian was like editing it at night. Uh, and we didn't have a crew. It was just like our buddy. Oh God, who shot that? must've been Noah. Noah Lajan, uh, was our cinematographer. I, I hope, I hope I'm getting that right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it was like, Oh no, it was Matt McBrayer, Matt McBrayer was the the director of photography for that. And he was also also helped us edit it and we were editing it at night. And then we shot it up until the Friday before the Oscars. We finished like shooting it that night. And then edited, like there was just a crazy mad dash Thursday night to edit it overnight. And we wanted to get it out by like noon on Friday. And... We got it out at 5 p.m. on Friday and we put it up <laughs> and that went pretty big, pretty quick. I think it got retweeted by a bunch of people and uh, and then that def- there was a definite like immediate reaction from like all of a sudden people were reaching out to us that like, like Gary Oldman reached out to us and we had like a lunch meeting with Gary Oldman. (laughs) Why? Wait a minute. (laughs) What was that? That was, that was one of the most amazing. We got this email from this guy. (laughs) It was Gary Oldman's (laughs) manager and the email begins. It's in like 40 point font, 40 point, like (laughs) times new Roman font. That's just a gentleman. You are fucking brilliant. Like (laughs) Gary Oldman and I would like to meet with you. What? (laughs) And then, and then in, and then in like 80 point font, 80 point purple font, it said Douglas Urbanski. And (laughs) I was like, I sent that to our manager and agent was like, is this in any way real? And they were like, that's the name of his manager. Yeah, I mean, email him back. I think it's legit. And Douglas Romanski, <laughs> you've seen The Social Network. Uh, he plays yeah. the president of Harvard. <laughs> uh. <laughs> He's amazing in that scene. Um, it's the scene where the two twins go and try to get Mark yes. Zuckerberg expelled or whatever. And... Uh, yeah. So then we like sat down, we had like, we, when we were in LA next, we had a lunch meeting with him and Gary Oldman. And they were like, we want you to write Gary a movie. And we were just dumb kids then. And we were just kind of like, Oh, okay. What if we did a sketch together? <laughs> and they were like, <laughs> maybe. And then we like pitched him some sketch while, like to shoot in like three days or something. And they were like, and he, his schedule was too busy. And and then we just didn't we didn't take that opportunity at all to write a comedy movie for Gary Oldman because we I, were wow wow talk about that okay so 
What a weird connection. What a weird, yeah. that's what I love about our business is our business is so fucking strange sometimes and the way that yeah. people connect and how people know each other. Because he watched, he watched your video on the Oscar stuff. What a strange fucking connect. And yeah. uh, you, man, you could have written a, a comedy movie for Gary Oldman. Yeah, there's like, <laughs> this is another thing that like, you know, I, I don't really have regrets in general, but like, there, there are certain things where I look back and I'm like, we, if we knew what we were doing, we really could have capitalized yeah. on these moments of buzz that we got. Like that was our biggest, that was definitely like that video coming out, the industry, uh, 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 you know, of people who probably are no longer <laughs> still working at the jobs they were working at. Like everybody, we, we, we had like a general meeting with everybody all mm -hmm. these different production companies and, and networks and stuff. And, and we just didn't really know, like, I remember thinking like, ah, oh, we're kind of too young, like nobody, or, or, or we would be just like, yeah, give us a TV show. We'll do a TV show. We'll do a sketch show or a regular show. Just give us a show. Didn't know, like, you need to have an idea to pitch a show. <laughs> like, I wish that I had been prepped for that. And they didn't, yeah. they didn't give us any prep for that in the acting school. They may have done that in the writing uh, department at NYU. Like, I'm sure they did. But that would have been super helpful <laughs> to Dude, know how to capitalize on it. Because we were just like, a, no, this, this buzz will, will always be on us. And, no, no dude, uh, it's, a val it's a valid point. What you're saying yeah. is a valid point because – I wasn't prepped on it either, you know? So, and, and there's something that they don't teach. And I think it's sort of like the, you know, the, the guy behind the curtain kind of thing with, with agents and management and pitches. And it's like, okay, so if people want us, then they want us. And then they'll just throw ideas at us. People don't realize that like, you have to, you have to go in there with ideas. You have to go in there with something to pitch because how many fucking people go in for general meetings a week? with these yeah. people you know it's like a it's a rotating door it's part of their job is yeah is that and i think it's, it's it's not to say like that you we should have you know pitched in those meetings like i think it's it, but it's just like like it would have been it would have been very different we would have been much better served if we had a feature script and mm -hmm. a pilot script or one of those two things, then mm -hmm. this video happened and we were like, oh yeah, we've got, here's our, here's what the TV show we would make would be. We were just, all we cared about was like creating good three minute sketch comedy videos. And we kind of thought, oh yeah, someone will just sort of give us a show. And <laughs> it's like, and, and the thing is, is like in those moments when you have buzz and people are excited about you, they're much more likely to green light your idea mm -hmm. as opposed to like, if you go and like what I've kind of learned in this industry and, and there's absolutely uh, plenty of examples to, to prove this wrong, but <laughs> I, it's definitely served me well is don't strike when the iron is uh, uh, perfectly fleshed out and ready, like strike when it's hot, like, if if they're if people are like interested in working with you, just throw something at them as opposed yeah. to like taking a year to really get the idea, you know, fully developed. Um, I, totally I I wish I'd known that at the time. At the same time, I'm I'm very grateful that we didn't 
Like, I think the TV show that we would have made then wouldn't have been great. Like, I think we're, we've gotten much better. We needed to learn how to like write a feature, write a pilot, like do all those things. And, you know, it would have been ideal if we had learned them before that, but it was still fine. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's actually a really good point because, um, a lot of people just don't realize there's so, even when people are putting things out as far as videos that they make or releasing things on YouTube, they feel like it's got to be perfect. And it's like, there's a lot of lessons to be learned in front of an audience. There's a lot of lessons to be learned as you're doing it. And, you know, you go back and you look at like Spielberg, you go back and look at these directors that were literally learning how to do their shit. Like he was learning when he did Columbo TV series, he was learning all this stuff in front of an audience. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that's important because I think a lot of people get caught up and it's not fucking perfect and it's like it needs to be perfect before it gets put out and it's the things that everybody's going to see. It's true, but at the end of it all, it's like it's about putting out content and it's all about the last thing you made and whether or not people thought that was interesting. And if not, then just put something else out. And Absolutely. I think the, the, the phrase that I always really liked is like, don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. Yeah. And what I've, what's been most helpful to me with, with writing is just, is doing that thing of like writing the shitty first draft, like just get it out there and don't like second guess your, the whole idea. Like just, 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 it's like, you're doing it, just do it. And then you can make it better. And then, you know, and, and in a weird way, like, you know, the, the needing of money, I find very helpful. Like some of the more recent jobs I've taken have been for money have been because it's like, I need money and this is literally what's there. So like, let's, let's write this thing. And whereas, so Brian and I, like right around the time of the trailer sketch, basically the trailer sketch came out. We then did an independent movie. We auditioned for and acted in this independent movie. And while we were doing that, we, auditioned for and got this job being the voices of Cartoon Network. So we like for six years were the voices of Cartoon Network and would announce, you know, coming up next, it's adventure time, uh, which was a crazy, great job that was super easy and paid us really well. So we didn't need to take work. And because of that, we would like only do things that like properly inspired us that made our hearts sing. And, we didn't need to like get any, you know, we didn't need to get a job. And then as soon as that job ended, we like needed to get a job and worked harder (laughs) than I've ever worked in my life. And we, that's when we got the job and it's always sunny. And then from there got the job on SNL and around the time, uh, like when we left SNL, there was this other, this, this, I don't actually know if I can talk about this, but there was, we, we've written an adaptation of a movie, mm-hmm. uh, uh, of a French film. And we, that it was a, it was a subject matter that is not something that I would trust Brian and I to tackle. It is a dramatic film that we are adapting, but oh, okay. someone at this company was a Britannic fan and they were like, ah, what if the Britannic guys did this as an, as a comedy? And we needed a job. And so we were like, we were very motivated to like flesh this idea out. And it was, 
it, it's been so rewarding to do that. Like it's, it's an idea that I, not, not that I wasn't interested in, I was very interested in, but I didn't, I wouldn't, I would sort of take myself out of the running for it. I would be like, no, 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 no. we're like comedy guys. We can't do something. This, 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 you know, idea has heart and drama very, very tied to it. And I, I wouldn't have trusted myself to do it, but because we needed to do it, it was like, well, we're going to figure it out. And in doing it, it was, it was a really great experience. And I'm really proud of the script that we wrote. Um, how, re how rewarding is it that, you know, because of your Britannic time, uh, you were able to have just a random, I love that about fans that get embedded in work, especially younger. Like if you get a, a younger run of fans, as they get older, they're put into positions of power. And the next thing you know, you're getting phone calls from people that are like, I love that fucking thing that you did like 10 years ago. I've always yeah. been a fan of that. And and then you find yourself in that position. I, I see it a lot because I've done a lot of music video stuff and I work with bands and we used to get access all the time because uh, my old business partner was in a pretty pretty big a hardcore band, underground hardcore band. And we would see it just going into bars where people would slide beers across the counter. And it's like, holy shit. You forget that your work, especially if you get started at a young age, your work has an influence that sort of permeates the culture at that point in time that is only going to get older and that is only going to end up in positions of power that gives you random fucking phone calls. And it's like, hey, uh, what, why don't you come do this? I love that about this business too. It's such a, a surprising fucking thing. Um, yeah. It's, it's also the reason to be kind to everyone because yeah. everyone will one day be the president of NBC. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. need them to like you. So be nice. Uh, well, and don't be a piece of shit. Like, yeah. and also don't be a, and a in, yeah, in general, like take your career out of it. Don't be an asshole. Yeah, exactly, dude. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about writing now. So you got into writing. You originally wanted to act, and you got into writing out of necessity. And now your 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 writing is at the forefront for you at this point. Correct. That's how you make most of your money. Yeah, I I have something in the past like six years. It's slowly shifted. You know. It, whereas in high school, it was like I only wanted to act, and then slowly. There was a shift and I enjoy acting and I still would like to do it. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I still do, but I am much more driven by writing for sure. Like creatively, it's that's where I'm much more inspired. I think I'm better at writing than I am at acting. And it's, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, I think... I don't know. I think it was like I so I did a pilot in 2012. Mm -hmm. I like I I was acting and I remember at the beginning of 2012 being like it was going into pilot season and I'd really I'd done some stuff. I'd done like a TV show like I was a recurring guest star on this TV show called I Just Want My Pants Back on MTV <laughs> and uh the, the and I'd like gotten some small things here there and then I, and every pilot season, I, I don't think I'd ever really come close to anything. And then 2012, I remember being like, I'm going to really give it a go. I'm going to like give every audition my absolute all. And mm -hmm. so I was like putting hours and hours of work into every audition, like doing everything I could. 
to to do well in these auditions and nothing was happening <laughs> like i wasn't getting i like was getting zero bites and then all of a sudden i had one audition that went really well and i got a test offer for that and i had put myself on tape for something else and then when they heard that i had a test offer for the other thing they just made a straight offer for this abc Ooh. pilot and nice. i was like i took it and i we shot this pilot and I was so excited uh, and so happy. And then we were on set and the writer, Adam Sekiel and the director, Jesse Peretz would off, like something would happen, you know, as always happens on a set where it's like, something's not working. The scene's not working. The line isn't getting a laugh. There's some, you know, something's not working. And there'd be this huddle of people. There'd be like the, the mm -hmm. director and the writer and then like the producers would all come in and they'd be huddling and then, and then, you know, the director would come out of that and come and tell us what to do. And I remember being like, I want to be in that huddle. I don't mm -hmm. care about being in front of the camera. Like I hate not having the control of like being, you know, in there and, and suggesting ideas. And that was really, I think the big shift for me. Cause it was like, I, I booked a pilot. I'd sort of like, ticked this box of something that I wanted to do. And I, and I enjoyed it. It was great, but I was also like finding myself bored and yeah. it, it's like, I really like the, the constant creative stimulation uh, when you're on set of, if you're the writer or the director, like you, you, you can check out sometimes if you're the actor but the, oh, you the can't check the out where you're a director. Really, no you know, and I still <laughs> yeah. find a way to. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, you you really have to be on it, and and I like you know shouldering the burden of that. Cool, man. So let's talk a little bit about writing. Um, I you know I'm a huge Always Sunny fan. I've been a huge fan of that show for forever. What's that like? I've heard horror stories because I've never been in the situation where I'm in writer writers rooms for television. I've heard horror stories of writer rooms being like really intimidating and really sort of intense. Like, what are you what are, what is your experience dealing with writers rooms? So the first job we wrote for was a show called Goodwin Games. Uh, mm -hmm. that we got, it was the two guys who make how I met your mother. This was like another show that they had and it was Carter Bays and Craig Thomas created how I met your mother. And they had met with us years prior. They had seen, I think the trailer sketch and mm -hmm. we had had a meeting with them then to maybe write on how I met your mother. And we didn't get that job. Uh, Dan Greger and Doug Mand did who are good buddies of us, ours now. And, then years later they were doing Goodwin games for Fox and we met with them in New York. Uh, and then we got hired to, to write for that show and we went out there and they were so kind and amazing. And I learned so much in the very, very limited time that room was happening. It was like so positive and they would like swing by our room and be like, Hey, just want to let you guys know you're doing a really great job and things awesome. are really good awesome. and then other older writers would come by our room and be like because everybody knew this was our first job and they were like you need to understand that this is not normal this is not a normal <laughs> writer's room experience this is this is some weird utopia <laughs> like <laughs> basically being i think letting us know like if those two guys weren't in charge we would be making fun of your weak ass pitches <laughs> 
but it was like it was this great warm room i always felt comfortable in it like we laughed a ton and then the show was like preemptively canceled and then the next room we were in was a sunny room and that was also great it would megan gans was running it and she was she's become like a very good friend uh from that experience and it it was just funny and it it was supportive. And what's great about that room is that the hours are, are great. Some rooms, you know, keep you there. Can I've heard story horror stories of being there all night. Uh, I haven't, you know, worked in one of those places except for SNL, which is, (laughs) that's like part of the job description is you're there all night. And that, that room is definitely stressful. The Saturday night live is, is, Definitely not for the faint hearted, uh, which I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no but, I've heard, but, I've but heard SNL stories. is like it, the thing about SNL is it's like it's there, no one is mean. Like everybody, all, I found that all the other writers and cast, everyone's like so supportive and positive, but it's like there is this enemy, which is the show itself. It's like, all of you, the writers and the cast, like you all go to war against the idea of the show. Like the idea of putting together an hour and a half long sketch comedy show in a week is terrifying and stressful. And it's like, you're all kind of, you know, alongside each other against, I don't know, time itself. So it's, it's stressful, but for, you know, not, not the, you know, like, you know, some showrunners can be monsters. And, and we were really lucky that our first experience with showrunners was with two people who were wildly kind and wildly talented. It really kind of showed me you, you don't, you know, there, you don't have to be a monster to be talented, which I, I think a lot of creative people might think they, that, that, that yeah. is true that you need to be tortured, that, that you need to be mean and whatever. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. And I feel like that was huge. That was very prominent, especially in all the stuff that we that I was watching when I was growing up, and I'm sure that you were watching when you were growing up. It was that that whole, you know, and that whole Harvey Weinstein sort of generation of 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 like power hungry fucking assholes. And yeah. uh, I think a lot of that's I think a lot of that's been shifting hard, especially in the past 10 years of people being more supportive, people being more creative and people really just understanding that, you know, and that's kind of what the show's about. Like your job is all this little shit. Your job is all these little steps in the process. So why make it fucking miserable for everybody that's involved? Make it a fun experience. And if you do so, you're attracting really great fucking talent. Like you said, that want to be in that room that like people aren't shitting on you for the sake of seniority or shitting on you just because they are intimidated by you. Yeah, I think, you know, it's I think it it, it happened because it is I think it's almost like our default setting is when we're stressed is to be a dick a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some people more so than others. And I think it like it's kind of taken us as a society to learn. No, you don't (laughs) have to do that. I remember the thing. One of the things I find like I credit with being very formative or, or just like a very positive moment in my life was was doing this play in college that was directed by Grant O'Brien, who was a writer performer with College Humor, or was 
exists. It's uh-huh. a college humor. May it rest in peace. Um, and it was like tech week and we were there really, really late. And I remember being like so pissed because it was the night before the show. And I was like mad at all these different things of like, this person's not doing their job. This person's like dropping the ball here. And now because of that, we're going to be here till like 3 a.m. doing cues and stuff like that. Mm. I was so annoyed. And then I remember kind of thinking, okay, the thing that I can't change about this situation is that we're going to be here till 3 a.m. Like that is absolutely going to happen. So I can either be here till 3 a.m. and be pissed about it and be shitty to the people whose fault I consider that to be, or I can be here till 3 a.m. and I can be kind of positive about it and I can enjoy that and like recognize that I'm putting on a show with a bunch of my good friends, a show that I really like. And yeah, I'm not going to get as much sleep as I would like to get, but do I really actually need it? Like I might as well just be here and be happier and then I won't be as stressed. Like if I'm here till 3 a.m. stressed, then I'm going to be like up another two hours just being pissed and sort of recognizing, oh, I have a choice about how I think about things was huge. It's like that. um, I hadn't seen this at the time, but I, I I later thought, oh, it's exactly like this. The David Foster Wallace graduation speech. Um, this is water, I think, or what is water? I don't know if I've heard, I don't think I've heard it. Oh, it's 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 great, and and it's really worth a listen to ten years after you've graduated college because it's that's kind of who he's speaking to. I think he even says in the speech, he's like, I'm not. Like, I'm not talking to you now. I'm talking to the you that you're going to be in 10 years when you've, like, really are dealing with the grind of in and out and, like, being weighed down by that. Because he's like, you're college students. You don't know what the in and out of daily life is yet. Yeah, right, 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 right. No, it's fascinating. I'll have to listen to it. It's it's an interesting... I think a lot of people, from my perspective as a director, uh, a lot of people forget that our business, especially directing, is a social business. I mean, I'm, I'm literally, I'm a salesman. I'm in the business of selling an idea to people, begging these people to get on board and potentially help me make this fucking thing. So empathy is so important. And then understanding that you, like you said, you have the ability to, the only thing that you have in your control oftentimes in our fucking job is how you handle it, how you process this stress, how you process this rejection, how you process this stuff. And then in the long run, fast forward five, 10 years from now, you'll be remembered for how you process that. Not necessarily the shit that you did, but how you process doing it. And I think that's really fucking important to remember as you get into this, because we are so stressed, especially as actors, we are so stressed about getting the fucking job and the most important thing is getting booked or the most important thing is, is doing it right and getting the position and let's clamor ahead of everybody else because that's the way the business is set up. And yeah. I think oftentimes that, especially with actors, I feel like that changes personalities because of that rejection, because of that insecurity and that constant uh, confrontation that you're having with that. Um, people become very hardened and people become very strange. And I, I find it refreshing whenever I work with talent that's still a normal human being where you're just like, oh, okay, cool. You processed all this stress really nicely. Yeah. You're a cool person to be around. You know what I mean? Um, it's interesting. This business is so fascinating because we all want to do it. We all want to be at the top. 
we all want to be making stuff. I mean, who the fuck wants to, who, who wants to have to go work a, a nine to five job where your hands getting dirty every day? Rather go do it making funny videos. You'd rather go do it making horror movies. I mean, so everybody wants it. So the cutthroat aspect of getting into this job really shapes human beings. And I always give a ton of respect and a ton of credit to those people that seem to ride through this, this wave and still come out as, as a good person in the back end. I think it's. Yeah. A, a and I think thing. it's like something that always comforts me is to think like, you don't know what's best for you. Like mm. kind of trust that the universe knows a little bit what's best for you and don't try to like almost force things like within reason, there's obviously exceptions to that. But like, I think it's like, it's, it's never worth fucking somebody over to, to get something like, cause then that thing is not going to last. And, and, and like the, you know, yeah, it's, it's just, it's so much more, I, nine times out of 10, I would rather work with someone again, who is a pleasure to be around on set mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. the, the most talented actor in the world. Mm -hmm. Totally, dude. Totally. Because at the end of the day, you're going to fucking war. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're going into that 13, 12 hour, if you're in an independent world, 15 fucking hour day where it's like, who do I want to be belligerent with at the end of the night? Who do I want to yeah. be punch drunk with? At the and end of the like, long week, there's people that I would, if I was like assembling a writer's room, there are people that I would hire that are not the best writers, but that I want to be in the room because of what they like, their positive energy They're They're so fun to be around that they bring out the best in me that I'm more creative because I'm more comfortable and feel more confident, like around someone that I, I really like. That's important. That's important. For those of you listening that are trying to figure this stuff out, that's a really important part is that, yes, you have to be great at your job. You have to be fucking spectacular at it to, to rise up above everything. But you still have a good chance to get work and be in that position if you're someone that people want to be around. Yeah. I think that's super fucking important. Whether you're talking crew positions or whether you're talking writing positions, I hire people on my movie sets because I want them around, because I enjoy them being around. It's like, yeah, sure, there might be someone that's more qualified, but they have 110% more qualification in being a good fucking person. So it's yeah. just like, yeah, yeah, please be on my set. Sure. You know, um, totally dude. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Let me do this because we've been talking a lot and I've, I appreciate all this time, man. Um, I'm just going to open it up a bit to Liam because I know Liam's got a bunch of questions for you. Liam, is there anything that you want to throw in there, buddy? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Nick, in, in Britannic, you have a, a couple videos where you have some big names on a YouTube channel that at the time I didn't realize, well, you know, you've gone through it, but uh, how the heck did you get Joss Whedon? Oh, yeah, that was another wild <laughs> uh, <laughs> thing. It, that was 2000 and... 13 I want to say it was whenever basically one day we got a Google alert or something that like Joss Whedon had put up a blog post saying like basically announcing I'm going to start filming Avengers tomorrow and also <laughs> I really like this sketch comedy group Britannic <laughs> <laughs> and he and he like 
it was like equal part. It was so, it was the craziest, weirdly focused blog post of all time. Cause it's him being like, I promised to like, you know, I want to make a movie for the fans and I want this to be good. And I'm very nervous, but I'm also hopeful and I'm so excited and I'm going to do you guys proud. And also I really like these guys, the Britannic's short film Eagles are turning people into horses. And I like their sketch <laughs> teamwork. And it was just like, what? and he's like watching these videos have gotten me through the pre-production process. And I was like, is this, some am, am I are we in a simulation that I am somehow writing <laughs> like what because I was a huge Joss Whedon fan I'd loved uh, uh Buffy and and uh Firefly and Serenity and I was so I was like is the and it also was one of those things where I was like is this real like what even is this site because it wasn't <laughs> like his website it was like a fan site he posted on the fan site huh. um and what we found out later of how that happened was uh, uh, this this girl Alex, who I'm I'm friends with still, was she, she was in high school, uh, had I, I don't know the exact type, but had cancer and was I think for her make a wish, it was to meet Joss, and huh. Joss like flew her out and uh and she showed and alex showed joss all of our britannic videos <laughs> in that meeting and then they stayed in touch and i think he kept watching britannic videos and then i then bl blog posted about it um it's crazy wild yeah. <laughs> and uh and then so then I think we sent a message to him via our agent being like, we'll do, we'll kill people to work for you. <laughs> in some way. And then he was making after Avengers finished shooting, he was making, he was like just in the desire to like do something, not big budget and do something he had, you know, that was just more just for fun. He mm -hmm. did an adaptation of much ado about nothing in his house that he shot with just a bunch of actor friends, people he'd worked with in the past. And uh, the two roles of like the watchman, uh, <laughs> I think he, he, he sent us an email being like, Hey, would you guys want to come out to LA for like no money and do this movie? And we were like, absolutely. Yes. If you are <laughs> acting at one of our sketches. <laughs> Uh, and smart. <laughs> yeah. And so then we went out there and it was like so great. It was such a wonderful experience. Like he, he, when he opened the door to us, he would like quoted one of our videos and he had told like the rest of the cast about us and showed, showed them our videos. So it was all these people that I was like fans of like Nathan Fillion and Ricky Lindholm, who's in Garfunkel and Oates and Spencer treat Clark, who I was a huge fan of from unbreakable he had like shown them our videos and they were like, Oh, Hey, I really liked your videos. And it was so welcoming and great. And we, yeah, we shot this movie over like 12 days. I mean, they shot it over 12 days. I think we worked three, but like the mm -hmm. last day of shooting, it was just sort of like, it was a party scene. So he just sort of had a party at his house and was picking up shots during it. That's awesome. And then around the end of that, we were like, <laughs> He, he still talks about this where we had pitched him a sketch where we were like, what if it was like the Disney Channel movie surfers? I don't know if you know that, what that reference is, but it's these like 
10 and 12 year old kids that review movies and they would review like <laughs> jungle to jungle and go talk to, you know, Tim <laughs> Allen or whoever's in jungle to jungle. And we were like, wouldn't it be funny if they were, do- if the Disney channel movie servers was like reviewing the new Lars von Trier movie. <laughs> so we were like, we want you to play Lars von Trier and have like a German accent and talk about how you like admire Hitler and are doing actual penetrative sex. in your movie. <laughs> Um, and he was like, I love it. That's so funny. I'm in. And then we were like, this is, I, we don't know how to like do this production wise. And it's like harder to write. So we wrote this weird sketch where you're a bathroom coach teaching Brian or teaching me how to poop. And I'm trying to convince Brian that you're a bird. And he was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, perfect. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we shot that. Uh, <laughs> with him. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Definitely one of our weirder sketches. <laughs> wild, man. Fucking wild. It's so cool how connections happen in our business. I yeah. love it, dude. So fucking cool. Uh, you got one more question, Liam. What else you got? Um, okay, if I got one more question, before I do yes. that, I my buddy Brian would hate me if he didn't, uh, if I didn't say hello from Brian. <laughs> so, Is his name actually Brian? No, no, his name is Brian, but after oh. watching after watching the morning routine, he has for the past ten years been referred to as Brian, and we only refer to him as Hello Brian. <laughs> That's terrific. Hello Brian. Yes, and again, yeah, my my whole high school friend group would uh yeah only refer to him as Brian. But the other thing is, um, why should I not be an individual? Oh, wow. Deep cut. This is, that's a reference to my high school graduation speech, uh, which I put on YouTube. Brian told, Brian actually told, I only put it on YouTube because Brian told me to put it on YouTube because he was like, a lot of people put up their graduation speeches on YouTube and they're all shitty, but yours is really good. You should put yours up. And I put it up and it's gotten like a lot of views for, you know, something that I didn't think would you know it's like filmed terribly (laughs) Uh, but it's gotten like I think 200,000 views but it's a speech that I gave at my high school uh, graduation that is you know many people would call it satirical because I'm saying like don't be an individual if you stand out of the crowd if you do anything that makes people notice you they will make fun of you for it and then i like told some stories of my life of how of moments where i had embarrassed myself by standing out of the crowd and i was like don't don't be an individual and <laughs> what's funny is that like it's you know i perform it like it's tongue in cheek and satirical i think i find it to be true I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I'm pursuing this career because this is, I keep getting myself into awkward, embarrassing situations. And the way that I get it out, get out of them is by making fun of myself. I would be so much happier, like just being a a cog in the wheel of the masses and and having a normal, normal, unexamined life. Uh, and that's very much where I wrote it from a place of like, this is, I'm constantly embarrassing myself. Don't be like me. And I think at one point in the speech, I said, 
don't whatever you because I told some story about in the speech you could see it on YouTube about doing like being on a date with a girl and then to impress her showing her a choreographed dance <laughs> I had learned <laughs> alone in my bedroom and so I ended it by saying like whatever you do don't dance or something that I don't know that that was I don't think that was the last line but it's it's sort of the final culminating statement of it and then the speech right after me quoted that that faith I, I forget who sings this song the the song that's like that that the chorus of which is I hope you dance oh my so God. I I went up and said don't dance and then immediately <laughs> after me the person was like I hope you'd all dance like go out and like live out loud it was the exact opposite message <laughs> that person's just listening to your speech going this motherfucker <laughs> Oh, a funny story about that speech. So I put it up on YouTube right when I graduated college. And this advertising agency, Wyden Kennedy, saw it. And they were like, we really like this. Would you be interested in coming and being a copywriter for us? And they're this huge ad firm. They're like, they've done some of my favorite ads. I I remember like looking them up and being like, Oh shit. They like did all my favorite Super Bowl ads. Hmm. And I was like really into the idea. And I met with them. uh, And I had, I was like two months out of graduating and they were like, so you, you know, you would come out to Portland and you know, this is sort of how we work. And I was like, Oh, I don't think I can move to Portland. (laughs) I was like, I was like, I, in five years, like maybe I would do it, but like, I think I've got to like give acting and writing, you know, in the entertainment industry, like a proper try before I take the money job. But like, there were times in my late twenties where I was like, why didn't I do that? That would have been great. I live in Portland. I'd work for this cool company, like essentially doing sketch comedy for massive evil brands. Like I, I, (laughs) the dream. Oh yeah, sure. Until you actually look at what's going on in advertising recently, where it's just like copywriters don't have uh, a lifespan past their thirties at this point. You're out. You're out of the fucking game. So really? Yeah. Oh dude, you made because they kill themselves? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they, they, they just, so there's famously, there's stories about different ad firms. Like I'm originally from East Coast. So I'm from Boston and originally. And there was a, uh, and I've told this story multiple times. There's a big ad agency there called Arnold Worldwide. And those guys will just go in because they're a publicly traded company. I don't know if I'm supposed to be saying this, but fuck them. It's a publicly <laughs> traded company. And they will just, in order to make their dividends, they'll go and lay off entire floors of fucking of creatives and they just go in there just lay them right the fuck off and so they're and it's interesting when you look at if you go on linkedin and you actually look at writers for these different agencies there's there's an ass load of them there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of writers because they are only there for a brief period of time while they are quote unquote hot and then they're laid the fuck off so most uh, creatives like uh, creative directors and stuff are trying to make the transition into directing. They're trying to make the transition out of that because their lifespan doesn't go further than like 35. Seeing a creative director at 35 is like looking at an old man in a fucking wheelchair in that business. Yeah. So it's 
Dude, you made the right. You made the right well, call. Good. Well, that's good to know. That makes me feel good because I still yeah. do sometimes go, ah, oh, that that would have been easy street. No, dude, no, 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 no. I also no, didn't no, no. know at the time that Portland is awesome. I just sort of was like, Portland, what's that? And then I since <laughs> been to Portland was like, oh my god, it's heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Portland's really great. Portland's really great. Um, so look, I don't want to hold you up, man. How are we doing on time? We're at like an hour and change. Okay. Um, this is the point of the show where, uh, first off, I just want to say thank you for going in, in depth the way that you have. I think that the listeners of the show are going to find that stuff very inspiring and very interesting. And it's, I like to do this on the show. I like to be honest about the business and I like to give real insight into the business because like we kind of touched on film schools really don't teach you this shit. And there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. And it, when you finally get that opportunity, you're like, fuck, if I had only known that I should have had a script or if I only known that I should have been a, not a piece of shit and a really yeah. good person, then that would have been great. Um, so I really appreciate you sort of uh, rambling on about this stuff with me. Uh, it's really great. And then of course, yeah. this is the point of the show where I, I usually ask the guests to give um, some advice, some feedback to the younger filmmakers. Um, and I would say, you know, because you're the first one on the show that we've had that actually works in writer, writer's rooms for television, what advice would you have for a new writer that gets the opportunity to go and work first day in a writer's room? Um, it, it's almost two contradicting things that I would say. Because mm -hmm. one, every writer's room is different. It's, it's like a different friend group. It's a, you know, it's like there, there's all these unwritten rules it, to a writer's room and to each specific writer's room. Hmm. So I think, you know, some good advice would be don't bring your phone into the room. Just, just <laughs> leave that at your desk. Don't bring it in to the room because you'll just inevitably check it and then you'll check it too much. And, and then you'll, you know, be checking out and you'll get in trouble. Uh, the other thing I would say is just like, relax. Uh, don't, don't feel like you need to like come up with a, you know, pitch out a brilliant idea the first day. Like that's not really how it works. It's, it, you know, it's better to, you know, hang back, kind of see what's working before you really like throw stuff out there. Uh, and, and kind of see like what the vibe of it is. It could be a very toxic, bad room where people are like making fun of pitches that aren't good. Like it could be a very positive room when supportive, but like, you don't know that the first day, I think really, you know, playing it safe. Then that being said, I also would say, don't worry about playing it safe and, and throw out ideas that you think are good like throw out things that you think i think if you just are pitching stuff that you think is good you can't go wrong and that being said you can go wrong mm. and they might fire you but that's a good thing then you don't want to be in that room um and then mm. the other thing i would say is like m more for like when you're running a room like i think a writer's room should be a very safe place for anyone to throw out any half cooked idea that is maybe unfunny, that is stupid, that would never work. I think 
like if you're running a room, you should cultivate that environment because that half cooked bad idea might be the exact thing that inspires someone else to come up with like the perfect idea that fixes it. The number of times that Brian and I have been writing where one of us will be like, well, not this, but you know, this is a bad idea, but I don't know, something like this. And, and the other person agrees. Yes, that's a bad idea, but it makes them go, Oh wait, but actually if we did it this way, that could fix it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the, the, our short film Eagles are turning people into horses used to be called the government is turning people into horses. And for whatever reason, <laughs> Brian had this insane idea of let's put an Eagle into the movie somehow. And I was like, how are we going to do that? Is it supposed to be Eagles are turning people into horses. And for whatever reason that made a lot of stuff click for us. And we figured out the script after that insane idea and out of context, without having seen that film, that must be the most bizarre thing to hear. (laughs) But if you have, that's, that's how that idea came together. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And Maybe you even enjoyed it as much as Liam did. Uh, but it was a good episode today. A lot of really good advice. Uh, a lot of really solid insight into writer's rooms. I think it's an interesting world. And it's something that I, I know nothing about. I don't know if I will ever find myself in one of those situations. Maybe I will uh, find myself in, in a writer's room. But uh, it's interesting to hear um, how Nick has sort of navigated that. And it's really fascinating to hear how he has progressed in his career um, and how uh, creating content is important. And if you're an actor and you want people to give a shit about you, make stuff that is worth people watching. And if you don't have the skills to film that stuff, obviously you could try to partner up and team up with someone that does. But in the meantime, your fucking iPhone has got some great technology in it. Do stuff that works within the medium you have the access to the meaning that you have. There's a lot of different ways of doing that. So uh, I hope that you found a bit of inspiration through Nick because uh, he is the, the test case right there, man. He is a great example of the great things that can happen uh, if you create your own content and you continue to pursue the dreams that you want in this business. And you continue to push for bigger and better things. Um, and he's a really good dude. Really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, and I uh, hope you guys like that episode and uh, more episodes on the horizon. Very excited about all that. As always, we're trying to put out our Friday episodes, our COVID episode. We'll try to do one this week as well. Uh, unless by the time this episode comes out, COVID's been cured, which I doubt. <laughs> so you'll probably have another episode from us then. And then our numbers continue to rise. Here's what I'm tasking you with. If you're listening to the show right now, I'm tasking you with this. Do me a favor, go to my Instagram account and say, Mike, I would like to promote the show. Send me a message. Mike, I would like to promote the show. If you send me a message saying that, I will send you a graphic. And if you do this process, I will send you a link to see 12Cam. So for those of you who haven't seen 12Cam, this is a great way to do it. Mike, I would like to promote the show. 
I know a lot of you don't have money for donations. This is a good way to make that happen. So if you would like to see 12 Kilometers, my short film, uh, send me a note on Instagram. And uh, that's it. I'm not going to drag this out. I uh, really appreciate you guys listening to the show. I'm super happy that we're still thriving and we're still kicking in here. And uh, I love you guys. So I will see you next Tuesday.